Good morning. Our reading today is Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 23. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held, hat, held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of the Lord. All right, if you would have a seat and join with me in prayer. God and Father, you have spoken by your word, and you have made us to listen to it, uh, to be conformed to it, and we are glad in it. God and Father, I pray that you would specifically uh, bless this morning as we uh, approach a, um, uh, a delightful but also sometimes heavy topic. Uh, God and Father, we pray that we would listen to you, that we would be enlivened, and uh, Lord, that we would um, ultimately see how Jesus is placed at the center of our life, our affections, our desires. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. Well, uh, a little bit of a disclaimer, kind of up front. We're going to be talking today about uh, intimacy, specifically marital intimacy. Uh, we march through books of the Bible uh, normally, and we let the Bible determine and kind of dictate where it is that we go. And uh, honestly, the Bible has a lot to say about sex. So the church is going to talk about it. Here at City Church, we are going to talk about it. Uh, that doesn't mean uh, that this morning we'll be altogether comfortable. It doesn't mean that we're all adults here, because clearly there are children. And so we're going to try to keep things PG. We're going to try to keep things in a place where we can all learn. But if you want to know the truth, I think that the church talks far too little about the topic. Uh, there is no better place, indeed, even for our children, other than home, for them to hear the word, for them to understand and receive a biblical worldview. Uh, we, together at City Church, want to be a place of God's glory. So there is no better place for uh, us to be talking about this other than at home with our children. So we're not going to, this morning, speak softly or in hushed tones. We're going to full-throatedly declare the glory of God in the topic. We want to know and pronounce that God has made sex and pleasure good, and we want to celebrate that this morning. So if you would, with me, I want to approach this topic with that kind of excitement and indeed maturity. So let's go ahead and kind of get into it. Right now, uh, in fact, just this last week, I started a book uh, named The uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Um, I have not completed the book, and so I won't full-throatedly endorse the book, but it has been very helpful for me. It's supplying words to some of the thoughts and some of the experiences that I have had personally, that I've seen in my close friends, that I've seen in this community here at City Church and indeed the broader culture. It's been a good book. And there have been two words specifically that have been introduced 
to me that I've never heard before, and I doubt that many of us have. Uh, the first one is mimesis, and the second one is poiesis. And you might be like, Chris, what kind of books are you reading? Uh, honestly, this is something where he's taking from a, uh, another academic intellectual to describe something that will be very familiar to us. These two words describe a way of approaching the world. Mimesis is seeing the world as having a given order and meaning. So it's a given order and meaning. And thus, we ourselves are to be uh, discovering and conforming ourselves to that given order and purpose. So the first one, mimesis, is seeing the world as having been given an order and then actually conforming and discovering that to form ourselves. The second one, poiesis, is actually a complete juxtaposition of that word. It sees the world as largely raw material out of which any person can derive meaning and purpose for themselves. So the first one is that the world is given meaning and purpose. The second one is, is that the individual gets to go out and accumulate from all of the raw materials in this world that which they find pleasing, that's what they desire, and a purpose and meaning for themselves. So the one, the first one, mimesis, has one kind of created order. The other one has uh, just a, a, a complete litany of meanings and purposes that all just depend on you, the individual. And these are how we experience the world ourselves. So this does raise a question. The question is, does the self exist independently and just need to be expressed in any old way? Or do we discover ourselves in the order that God has given? There is no place where our answer to these questions has probably played out more in the last 50 years than sexual self. In fact, uh, many historians really refer to the last 50, 60 years as a sexual revolution, particularly in the West. So there is kind of a complete reordering of the understanding of the sexual self. And we have to ask this morning the question of, have we been given an order and a meaning under which we need to discover and conform in order to find ourselves? Or do we use all of the raw materials to find our own meaning and purpose in sex? What I think that this uh, passage in particular doesn't perfectly or comprehensively answer that question. I don't want you to think that this morning we're going to be completely and totally picking this apart and discovering everything. We're really going to aim at just one thing, and this is what I think that we find. What we find in this passage at the end of chapter 5 in Proverbs is that faithful love is a fountain of blessing. Faithful love is a fountain of blessing. And in order to kind of discover that this morning, we need to discover three things and one last one. We'll, we'll discuss the three things up, first, uh, up front and then discover the last one at the end. The first three things that we need to discover is we need to discover the order, we need to discover the wander, and we need to discover the danger. We need to discover the order, the wander, and the danger. And since we're just kind of dropping into this text, first of all, the Proverbs are fairly easy to do that because uh, they're, they're to be taken almost in these small segments, some of them just a sentence or two at a time or, or a small topic that has a theme over the course of a few verses. But there is a way that we need to actually understand this passage. And we can find it there in verses 7 and 8. We're going to be referring back to the previous verses quite a bit this morning. And so you can kind of look a 
above where we've been reading this morning in 7 and 8. And it says, O son, listen to me. Do not depart from my words. Keep your way. Don't depart from my words. Keep your way. So what we know and understand is, is that this father, Solomon, who's writing the Proverbs, knows something that he needs to uh, give as an inheritance to his son. He's going to actually tell him something. In fact, we read and even discussed a few weeks ago how if you train your child up in the way, he will not depart from it when he grows old. So you're actually seeing a father train his son up in a way. Solomon is instructing his sons on the right way. And in fact, this word way, we see kind of repeated there through chapter 5. It talks about feet and steps, paths, wandering ways, being led astray. There is a theme that flows throughout the book of Proverbs that talks about the right path and the wrong path. And so there it is that we get to understand that we can act, uh, ask the question, is this poiesis, is this a making of our own way, or is this mimesis, trying to find the right one? And what we need to discover first is the order. We need to discover the order. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Now, what we have here is an allegory. So you might be tempted to just go, what? What is this talking about? Drink water from your own cistern. Drink flowing water from your own well. Well, if we look back at verse 3, we see that he introduces this forbidden woman. In fact, literally in Hebrew, it's going to be talking about a foreign woman, someone that is outside, someone that is not a part of this marriage, maybe even not a part of this tribe. And it, discover, uh, it, it describes her in a particular way. It says that her lips uh, drip with honey and that she has smooth speech. In fact, it's as smooth as oil. So we get this kind of theme here. It's not just the paths. It's also something about water and tasting. We see a mouth mentioned in both of these places and drinking. Verse 8 says, keep your way. Do not go near the door of her house. Verses the other allegory, which is drink at home from your own cistern, your own well. In verse 4, as a juxtaposition that we can kind of clearly see here, in the end, the adulteress is bitter as wormwood, and the wife is a blessed fountain of flowing water. So, what we actually do see here is an answer to this question about poiesis and mimesis. We see that there's an order. God gives an order, and that's what we're discovering. In fact, if you want to know the answer to your first, uh, first form in our printout this morning, it is that God gives love order. God gives love order. He designs us for each other. He commands fruitfulness within the context of marriage. Be fruitful and multiply, and then he reserves it for marriage. Husband and wife have been given to one another. Intimacy is integral, and it belongs to no other person. In fact, we see that quite clearly in verse 16. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street, let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. The, the, the father here, Solomon, is making him an appeal to his son. He's saying, be faithful, go home, drink well from your own cistern, flowing waters there at home. Think about it. Would you want your wife to be unfaithful? Would you want for your waters to be scattered in the street, for it to be flowing out into a foreign land? This is the appeal that Solomon is making. 
And it's an interesting thing, if we can be honest, for Solomon to be challenging his son too, because we know that he has not even lived up himself to his own wisdom. At the end of his life, we see that he uh, accumulated a mass of regret, tons of sexual sin in his own life, but the Spirit through Solomon is challenging his son to think through these things very carefully and conform to God's created order. Solomon's wisdom joins the chorus of God's word in promoting God's design for covenantal love in covenantal union. So, so don't be distracted by the fact that Solomon didn't li- uh, you know, live up to this. The whole of Scripture is that same story where uh, holy men who are taught by the Holy Spirit write in the words of Scripture and they're included in halls of faith, and yet we can go back nearly one for one and just recount the way that they paradoxically did not live up to the standard that the Spirit had put in their heart. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one, not even Solomon himself, given all of this wisdom. And here we see that Solomon's wisdom still joins in agreement of the chorus of God's word in promoting God's design for covenantal love in covenantal union. This means that there is a biblical ethic for sex that we cannot get away from. You yourself, or certainly you have heard, that there are people that really try to uh, do mental gymnastics, theological contortion, to make the scriptures say something that is plainly, obviously not what it says. There is a biblical ethic, and the further that the church runs away from it, the more we will be disregarded. Heterosexual, monogamous, Consensual marriage is at the heart of the gospel story, we will discover. And if we don't discover that order, if we don't conform to it, what we will be doing is teaching heresy about what God has done and how he intends to love us and impassion and inflame us, just as we were just singing. So let us see all of this as a good thing. A con- uh, uh, we do see, though, that that, um, that that biblical ethic is exclusive, and we can't run away from it. It is hard. There will be people that call you and me and this church and the church more broadly bigots for saying so, but if we are to hold up this standard, God's standard of heterosexual, monogamous, consensual marriage as the place for sex, then we must also conclude that it excludes adultery, which is explicitly prohibited here. Unfaithfulness is explicitly prohibited here, but so is, not just in this passage, but in a lot of other very explicit passages, homosexuality, the conduct of homosexuality, incest, abusiveness, assault. These are the things that Satan has used to contort and distort and disintegrate this glorious thing that God has created us for. And we ought to say so. With humility, not with a gleam in our eye, a desire to pick a fight, but to be specific about the things that God says are specific and to uphold the way that the Creator said that life works best. If we really do truly believe that a biblical ethic for sex actually creates more opportunity for human flourishing, why would the church decide not to say so? Why would we withhold a blessing from the world, even though we might be called a myriad of names? We ought to 
be full-throated in the way that we portray what God says about how he has made his creation. But Solomon doesn't just quantify what sex is and what it is not, what pleasure is and what it is not. He also wondrously, really beautifully qualifying it here in this passage. So we don't just want to discover the order, we also want to discover the wonder. Let us take a look at verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Solomon reminds us here that he is also the poet that wrote the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. And it gets a little bit spicy here. It says, let your fountain be blessed. And I think that there is some real illusion going on here. I think that what he means is to conjure something up inside of us. It says that we're to rejoice in our spouse, especially our spouse in our youth. In Congress with one another, there is blessing, there is enjoyment, there is goodness, there is life. And in fact, uh, Solomon means to turn up the heat even a little more and says, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. It says, be intoxicated. I want to take those two pieces here and just talk about them for a moment, just kind of hold them up together. It says that we are to do this at all times. This kind of delight is reserved for your spouse. He's talking about a lovely deer, a graceful doe. He's talking about a specific woman. It's not talking about all women. He's encouraging his son to enjoy his wife and vice versa. But he is also saying that it should be done all the time. It's something that's regular. It's something that should be celebrated. It's something that should be on our minds. And for most men, we go, it is. It's on my mind all the time. But, but we don't need to step past this so quickly because we see a lot of disorder here too. We see, uh, I see within the context of my own marriage in this church, uh, irregularity. And and I want to make an exception here. I'm not talking about uh, times like Paul says where there is fasting for prayer, uh, where we may deny one another for a short period of time, he says. So we're not talking about that. We're also not talking about where uh, physiologically there are disabilities, there are things that hinder couples. But the, the normal is supposed to be that there is regular, impassioned sex. It's supposed to be intoxicating and regular. Now, now what, I want to make one more point on this all the time. Um, I see uh, all the time, I have conversations with uh, couples where they come in for counsel and we talk and we ask the specific question, okay, uh, what does love life look like within the context of your marriage? And for many of us, we find that we live within actually clinical terms of a sexless or near sexless marriage. The definition of that is uh, about once uh, every six weeks. If, if, if it's only once every six weeks, clinically, psychologically, though that's not where we hang everything, that they're, you, you're living in a sexless or near-sexless marriage. Now, I don't want to put a label on you. There are seasons, there are times. My wife and I have experienced these as well. So I don't want you to feel condemned in that, but I also want for you to have some tools to you know, have a conversation as a couple to evaluate if God's word is saying that this is something that should be 
regular, at all times, that there is delight kind of mixed into your marriage, have a conversation about it. But the second thing is, is that it's to be intoxicating. Solomon says that he's supposed to be intoxicated. It literally means swept away with delight. Love is to be intoxicating and faithful. That's the second uh, of the things in your printout this morning. Love is to be intoxicating and faithful. It's reserved for your spouse, and it's to be intoxicating. You're supposed to be swept away with delight. And just so that you don't think that it's just me up here kind of interpreting this, I had uh, one commentator that I read this morning, said, uh, this morning, over the course of the last week, said, Proverbs calls unabashedly for seeking fulfillment in sexual intimacy of marriage as the relational context where these desires are rightly fostered and enjoyed and good for both husband and wife. It's not just me that thinks this. It's not just your spouse that thinks this. Solomon thinks this because he is being uh, initiated by the Spirit of God to encourage marital fidelity and passion. How beautiful that is. Here we see a good father stoking the desires of his son and his daughter-in-law for marital love. Now, I'm going to say that one more time so that you can hear it maybe in a spiritual sense, not just in practically what is happening, what we are seeing here in Proverbs. Here, we see a good father stoking the desire of his son and his daughter-in-law for marital love. So what I want to do real quick just to uh, kind of solidify this point is to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn with me if you'd like. And we're going to be reading uh, verses uh, 21 through 23 very quickly. I apologize, that's the wrong. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 is where we're going to start this morning. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, are you listening? In the same way as Christ, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as, the Christ, uh, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and this is a quote, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband what we see here is, is that Paul raises up marital love, both masculine and feminine love, coming together in a one flesh union. And what he calls it in Greek is a mega mysterion. If you've ever, you can hear the words, right? It's a mega mystery. It's something that we are to discover. Paul is saying this one flesh union between uh, husband and wife is mysterious, to which we all say, amen. 
It's a great mystery for us, but it's also something that Paul himself, even though he had received the tutelage of Christ, the resurrected Christ, is saying, I don't get it. I don't fully get it, but here's what I'm saying. It refers to Christ in the church. God the Father gives the gift of the act of marriage to tell us a passionate love story between Christ and the church. Husbands love their wives with a sacrificial, Christ-like love that passionately pursues her for pleasure. Wives marvelously, relationally, respectfully receive the affections and blessings from him with pleasure. And the Father's divine desire is that we should all know something more about a heavenly union through all of it. You want to hear the tagline this morning? The thing that maybe you are missing in all of this, whether you're a child, whether you're single, whether you've been married for a short time or a long time, you want to know what you need to know about sex this morning? Sex is for worship. Sex is for worship. And you might immediately think, yes, for gratitude, right? To see and experience pleasure and then go, thank you, Father. No, 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 no. Yes, yes, but no. We get glorious glimpses of Jesus' love for us in this beautiful, delightful gift from the Father. This is all about worship. It's all about understanding how deeply and affectionately we are loved by Christ. And, and, and that's why uh, sex doesn't just belong as an institution to uh, whatever whim we have, because God gave it to us. He defines it. It's his. We don't get to uh, take it down and uh, dirty it up and mess it up and uh, break it apart and call it what we want to call it. It's his, and he's given it to us for a specific purpose, lots of purposes, the chiefly of which is for you to worship Jesus more. And that is not just for married people. For those of us who are experiencing celibacy or singleness or any of these kinds of things, what we get to know is, is that this thing that all of society seems enamored by in one way or another is really just directing us to a time when all of our passions, all of our desires, all of our uh, need for pleasure will be satisfied in Jesus. So that's why we're talking about it this morning. That's why we're not sugarcoating it. That's why we're not wrapping it up in saran wrap, taping it up, bubble wrapping it, making sure that it's nice and pretty and safe. It's because all of us get to behold this thing that God has created and know that it's for him more than it is for us. But some have never experienced this kind of blessing or listened even to a single word, and there's maybe a, there's lots of different reasons why that might be, but I think that the reason why, that I want to deal with most actually comes to us by way of verse 21. I want for us to look at it there because a lot of us experience a lot of condemnation, a lot of disorientation when we come to this topic. And so lastly, we have to discover the danger. If we're going to deal with this subject rightly, if we're going to deal with this passage rightly, we have to discover the danger. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Now, may I give you a warning here just for a moment? 
This passage has some heavy things to say to us. For those of us who have uh, experienced some things or have lived life in sin, uh, the, the passage is about to get a little heavy, but I promise you we're going to end on a glorious note. Will you give me that grace this morning? Let's go into it. We've never heard or experienced the wonder or delight maybe in our lives because of unfaithfulness. There's a juxtaposition here in this passage between faithful love and unfaithful love. And many of us haven't heard or experienced the wonder or the delight, not because of our Facebook status, but because of unfaithfulness, either our own unfaithfulness or others. And I want to say so, perhaps you have experienced sexual abuse as a child or assault as an adult. And, and that rending, that breaking, that hurt has, has taken all of the delight, all of the expectation, all of the desire away from you. For some of us, it's maybe not that, but it is the infidelity of a spouse or even one of our parents. We stood witness to see our parents being unfaithful to one another, and it broke something in us. And it's not possible to come to this subject of passion and not feel and experience some of that brokenness that still is there, that still hangs with us. So perhaps you've experienced these things, or maybe just generally, culturally, You've seen a portrayal of sex as something that is uh, dirty, that is hidden, that is uh, broken, that is gross. And culturally, you just feel unclean. There's no way, even just now, taking on the subject here together in a room where it is very safe here at City Church to discuss this kind of thing. You just feel withdrawn, tightened up, clenched. Because you've heard what the world has said more than what you have heard what God has said. And you wonder... Could God be telling the truth about this? So perhaps you've experienced unfaithfulness, or perhaps you yourself have been unfaithful. You've given your passions and body to another. You've had sex with a screen. You've sought out the forbidden woman, as this passage would say. Verse 5 says, her feet go down to death. And we felt it. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, and we've experienced. It, it goes on to say that she does not ponder her path. She does not wonder about her ways. And that stands in complete contradiction to verse 21 through 23 that says specifically that the Lord does do that. The Lord does ponder the ways. He knows us intimately. And so I just want to read and remind you again of uh, that uh, that passage there, that the Lord ponders all your paths, your iniquities, there are a snare. In fact, we die without discipline. That's what the Proverbs say. Verse 8 says, keep your way far from her and do not go near her door, near the door of her house, to which our culture, maybe even you, might ask, why? Why not? Why shouldn't I go and experience whatever pleasure I desire? Why should I not go there and have or take whatever it is that I want? God says, keep your way far. Do not go near that door, lest you give honor to others, your years to the merciless, strangers your strength, labors to a foreign house. Verse 11 puts a little bow on this and says, at the end of your life, you groan 
flesh and body consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline. Verse 14 cries out in this kind of despair, saying, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Here's here's what I love about uh, God's word. Uh, There are things that are taboo. There are things that we certainly wouldn't say. There are things that uh, we might be very reluctant to put out there because it might feel as shame or condemnation. But here, these verses say that if you go in, if you are an adulterer, that there is something about being uh, uh, in the assembled congregation that has you on the brink of ruin. Scripture is honest. There is public shame. There are feelings of disgrace. Verse 22 says it even more specifically, and I really want to land here on this section before we discover our final thing. He, the one who has gone and sought this out, is held fast in cords of sin. Unfaithfulness leads to slavery. Your final point on uh, the handout this morning is that unfaithfulness leads to slavery to which you might rightly respond, but Chris, where is there hope? This is a part of my past. This was done to me. I did this thing. I have an addiction that's hard to break. My wife doesn't look me in the eyes anymore. I, I haven't been able to initiate uh, with uh, my spouse in years. Maybe that's your story. Where is there hope? There's one more discovery for us. It's the discovery of the blessed fountain. We hear Solomon say over his son, your wife is a blessed fountain, and certainly she is, but what we want to discover this morning is ultimately the blessed fountain, and we're going to find that in John chapter 4. I want to invite you to go there with me. You'll find a very, uh, very familiar story where Jesus is sitting at a well, and he uh, sees the Samaritan woman uh, come up to him at the well, and she's drawing out water, and he says, woman, will you draw some water for me? And she asks a simple question of him. She says, how is it that you, a Jewish man, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? Where do you get off? How is it that you can ask me for something like that? And Jesus uh, says a few things, but then asks the Samaritan woman to go get her husband and bring him here. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus, rather uncharacteristic of how we think of him, says, you're right. You do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands. And the man you are with now is not your husband. And her mouth drops, and quickly she regathers herself to change the subject and and talk about geography. Ultimately, what I want to do is um, hear Jesus' sweet words to this woman. He tells her, if you had known the gift of God that's right here before you, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, pointing to the well. But whoever drinks of the water, I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water. That's familiar language from Proverbs. It's a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not 
be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked and he would have given you living water, well springs of water of eternal life. There is only one fountain that washes clean. There is only one water that completely satiates. There is only well, one well of eternal life, and it is the blessed fountain of Jesus Christ. For those of us who have uh, experienced unfaithfulness, um, our heart together as a community is with you. There is, you were supposed to be cherished and loved. You were supposed to be protected. You were supposed to be cared for. You were not supposed to be hurt. Your spouse, your, uh, your parent, uh, whoever it was, was not supposed to be speaking heresies about God. It was supposed to be uh, portraying good, united, covenantal love. But what I want you to know is that there is one who is always faithful. There is a well that never runs dry. There is a eternity for you where the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all of eternity will eclipse whatever heartbreak, whatever uh, hurt, whatever brokenness you have experienced in this world, and it will be as though it had never even happened. Everything that was rotten about this world will come untrue in the person of Jesus Christ. So for those of us who have experienced the weight of unfaithfulness, I want to encourage you, there is one who is faithful, and he is faithful for eternity. For those of us who have been unfaithful, for those of us who have hurt, who have abused, who have assaulted, who have manipulated, who have coerced, who have sought the fire of love outside of the fireplace of marriage. For those of us who have sought those things and we come into this room and uh, all of a sudden we're starting to talk about sex this morning and you feel this weight, this darkness, this hurt, this anger maybe even, would you know that Jesus Christ provides total and complete freedom and for forgiveness for anything? A, a maddening kind of forgiveness the kind of forgiveness that most of us would go, how is that even possible? How could you, Jesus, get rid of that much disgrace and for us to rejoice in it, for us to celebrate it, for us to depend eternally on Jesus, the true fountain, the true blessed fountain, the fountain of love, the fountain of passion for you for eternity. Let me pray that over us this morning. Father, you are the better Solomon. You are the one who speaks to us, who designed uh, sex and passion and um, these kinds of things. You are not merely guiding us on paths towards faithful love, towards faithful marital love like Solomon. You have created us for it, not only in this world, but also in the church's future union with Christ. So, Father, we confess together our unfaithfulness. We confess that we live in a land that does not honor the holy pleasures you have created us for. And all of us, in our own way, have fallen into sexual sin. Forgive us, Father. Do not make us an example like Gomer, but purify us. Make our marriages faithful. Make city church marriages strong. 
give our husbands and wives pleasure as they await the eternal wedding with Christ. We pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.